Good morning. Um, my name is Matt Garrison, and uh, I'd like to thank uh, Dennis and Camper and, and the elders for allowing me this opportunity to come up and, and speak this morning. Um, you all are far more intimidating, intimidating on this side of the pulpit. You should know that. I also have to follow the VBS kids and Jay Uten, who talked about jumping out of C10s with 60 other people and the focusing of his attention through a straw. Um, I can't even come close to that. But last week, he, he spoke about, um, about the circumstances in life and disappointment and frustration with those. And what do the Psalms have to speak about that? And this morning, we're going to look at a psalm that's a, a little more narrow. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to look at the idea of anger in the psalms, and particularly in Psalm 109, the imprecatory psalm. Um, but before we begin, um, I do need to say uh, the rumors are true. Uh, Team Garrison is going to be relocating to Ithaca, New York uh, this summer. Uh, where I've had the opportunity to take a position as an associate pastor of a church in Ithaca, New York, which is a plant. Um, <laughs> are you from Ithaca? Uh, yes? Um, it's so funny because you tell people you're going to Ithaca, there's two responses. One is, it's really cold. Uh, and then it's people who've been there and they go, oh, it's a wonderful place, but it's cold. Um, we were very fortunate, um, and uh, we've wanted to tell people, but it's, it's come about real fast, and uh, so uh, thank you for all the encouragement that people have given in the midst of that. Um, <clears throat> this morning, we are looking at Psalm 109, and um, as we read it, it will be shocking and arresting, the language that David uses. And so I'd ask that you would open your Bibles to Psalm 109 as we read God's holy word. Psalm 109, a psalm of David. Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for the wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his, be, let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out of the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that, they may, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. 
for he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as a coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O Lord, my God, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O God, my Lord. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped on their own shame as a cloak. With my mouth, I will give great thanksgiving to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your holy and good word, we're confronted with the parts of our lives that we don't know what to do with. We're confronted with um, things that we're uncomfortable with, things that we try and hide, things that we try and squelch, we dilute and freeze. But you, O oh Lord, are God over all things. So this morning, as we look to your word, we pray that you would illumine our eyes and our hearts to the truth of who we are in all honesty and the goodness of who you are and what you have done. So this morning, we pray that as we open your word, that you would be honored and glorified in it. Calm our fears and our nerves so that we might be able to say to you, be the glory to you. It's in your name we pray, amen. There's a lot of things that we don't talk about well in the church. We don't talk about singleness very well. We don't talk about addiction very well. We don't talk about sex very well. We don't talk about doubts very well in the church. Sometimes we don't talk about discipline very well. And we don't talk about anger very well. See, as we look at this psalm, we're quite uncomfortable with it. Because I hear parents say to their kids, don't say hate. I hate broccoli. I hate school. Don't say hate. I've really become uncomfortable with that. Um, even C.S. Lewis, when he's looking at this psalm in his book, Reflections on the Psalm, he says this. 
At the outset, I felt sure, and I feel sure still, that we must not either try to explain them away, these are the imprecatory psalms, or to yield for one moment to the idea that because it comes from the Bible, all this vindictive hatred so, must somehow be good and pious. We must face both facts squarely. The hatred is there, festering, gloating, undisguised. And we, should also, we, we, also, and also we should be wicked if we in any way condone or approved it, or worse still, used it to justify similar passions in ourselves. Only after these two admissions have been made can we safely proceed. This is, a, this is tough. This is tough to read. But you know what? We've all experienced anger. Why? Because it's the intersection of the fact that we've been created in the image of God and we live in a fallen world. There are certain things that we are supposed to be angry about. We should be angry about injustice. We should be angry about oppression. We should be angry about lost souls. There are things that we should be angry about. There are things that happen in our lives that seem senseless and make us angry. Last month, I was with Dennis, picking up paint, and I got a text saying that a friend of mine's son was shot and killed in a random act of violence in Norfolk. I didn't know how to process it. The only thing I felt was shock and anger. Is it okay to be angry at senseless violence? I hope so. I hope so. Now, how does this measure up with the idea that God is all love? Well, I submit to you that hate is not the opposite of love. In the words of the great theologians, the Lumineers, the opposite of love is indifference. It's not caring. There are some things that happen in our lives that we have been the victim of that probably instill anger in us. The question is, is not whether to have anger or not to have anger. The question is, is what do we do with our anger? And as we look at Psalm 109, well, let me go back even further. Paul, in Ephesians 4.26, says that in your anger, do not, this can be interactive, go ahead, <laughs> sin. In your anger, do not sin. So Paul is saying in some way that there's a difference between sinning and being angry. Again, it comes back to this idea that it's not about no anger or not having anger or being angry. It's about what are we angry at? And what do we do with that? In this psalm, it's a psalm of David. And we're looking at what David does with his anger. In verse 4, 
In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. First thing we notice is, what does David do with his anger? He goes to the Lord with it. And then he goes off on a tirade. (laughs) A great tirade. Another great theologian, Chevy Chase, (laughs) in one of his seminal works, Christmas Vacation, is shortchanged by his boss. And at the end of the movie, he stands in his living room in front of all of his family after he's received his Jelly of the Month Club bonus for the year in, in, in replacement for the monetary bonus that he was expecting. And he boils inside and he says this, hey, if any of you are looking for a last-minute Christmas idea for me, I'd like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there on Melody Lane with all the other rich people, and I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. And I can look him straight in the eye, and I can tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, hopeless, heartless, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey dung he is. Merry Christmas, where's the Tylenol? (laughs) That was edited. (laughs) We all relate to that. We've all had a tirade where we've wanted to go off like that. And that's exactly what David does. From verse 6 until verses 19, he goes through, he says, call a man to sit over top of him. Give him an accuser, a Satan. The Hebrew word there is the accuser, Satan. Let him rule over him. Let him make his life miserable. Make his parents miserable. Take away the next generation. I mean, David is so outraged. It's so deep within him that everything about him wants nothing but harm for his enemy at this time. And for this verses, from verses 6 to 19, he goes through all of those curses. In seminary, you know, you're a recent seminary grad, you got to do a seminary story, apparently. I was in a Greek class, and we were talking about the difficult parts of Scripture to read. And a student told me about a, another seminary student who had escaped from El Salvador. He had defied a local guerrilla unit in terms of work. And they came in and they tied him and they brutalized his family while he watched. He barely escaped, left to die there tied up. And he escaped into Mexico and walked through Mexico and into the United States. And he said in his class, I have a hard time reading anything in scripture except for these psalms. They're the only part of the scriptures that make any sense to me right now. Calvin says that the, that the psalms are the anatomy of the soul. And as we look at this psalm, this psalm is beginning to touch a part of our lives that's there, that we feel, 
The problem is with our anger, we often do the wrong things with it. Dr. Mark Rubin wrote a book called The Angry Book. You can guess what it's about. But he gives a list of things that we do with our anger. We tend to put it down. We tend to bury it underneath. We take things that we should be angry about, justifiable anger, the ways in which we've been victimized, the ways in which we've been wronged, and we bury it. Or we put it off, we delay it. We think about it much later in life. We put it on to somebody else or something else. I may be angry at somebody at work for what they've done, but I go home and express my anger to my kids. We dilute it. We tend to make excuses for other people for it. We freeze it. We just take that and we freeze it and we become so hard that we don't feel anymore. Or we don't sleep. Or we oversleep. Or we bully. Or we become saccharine sweet. Or we overwork. Or we overexercise. We sabotage ourselves. Or we become cynical and we laugh about it. All of those things, what Reuben says, make deposits into an anger slush fund that will eventually get cashed in. It's funny how all these things kind of come together. A few weeks ago, Dennis talked about the Count of Monte Cristo. That's a great example of anger and vengeance, eating somebody from the inside out. What do we do with our anger? Do we dilute it? Do we freeze it? Or, like David does here, do we go to the Lord with it? Sometimes we don't go to the Lord with it because we wonder the question, does God really care? Does God really care about justice? This has happened and it's wrong. Does God really care? David starts out the psalm in verse 1. It says, do not be silent. He said, God, don't you know what's going on here? Please, do something. Speak like you did. Come down and fire like you did with Elijah. Justify me in the face of my enemies. In verse 21, David asked the Lord to speak on behalf of his great namesake. I understand why they drink now. Um, one of my favorite theologians is a, is a Croatian-born um, teacher at Yale named Miroslav Volf. He was raised in Osiak, Croatia, and was teaching when he was asked one time, could you love a Setnik? And a Setnik was a Serbian nationalist who destroyed Croatia during Miroslav's life. And he said two things, as a Croat I could never, but as a follower of the crucified Messiah, I say yes. And he began an exploration of what forgiveness 
and God and identity look like in a book called Exclusion and Embrace. And what he said is completely profound. Because what he discovers is that God cares far more about justice than we do. When we don't believe that God cares about justice, we will take justice into our own hands. And this is what he writes in Exclusion and Embrace. One could object that it is not worthy of God to wield the sword. Is God not love, long-suffering, and all-powerful love? A counter-question could go something like this. Is it not a bit too arrogant to presume that our contemporary sensibilities about what is compatible with God's love are so much healthier than those of the people of God throughout the whole history of Judaism and Christianity? Recalling my arguments about the self-immunization of the evildoers, one could go further to argue that in a world of violence, it would not be worthy of God not to wield the sword. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make the final end to violence, God would not be worthy of our worship. Here, however, I am less interested in arguing that God's violence is not unworthy of God, but in showing that it is beneficial to us. Most people who insist on God's nonviolence cannot resist using violence themselves or tacitly sanctioning its use by others. They deem the talk of God's judgment irreverent, but think nothing of entrusting judgment into human hands, persuaded presumably that this is less dangerous and more humane than to believe that God who judges. That we should bring down the powerful from their thrones, as Luke 1 says, seems responsible that God should do the same. And so violence thrives, secretly nourished by belief in a God who refuses to wield the sword. God cares more about justice than we do. When we give our anger to God, we give it into the hands of a God who cares far more about making things right than we could ever do on our own. When C.S. Lewis writes that this is a deplorable psalm and we should not give in to it, what I think he misses is the fact that David is not taking action into his own hands. He's giving action into the Lord's hands. The calling down of curses upon them is for God to take responsibility for. God cares far more about making things right. That is our hope. As we, he finally ends with saying that God is expected to act in a real and precise way. Help me, O Lord, saving me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand, O Lord, that you have done this. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as a cloak. When God begins to change things around us, he begins to change us too. God frees us 
from our desire for vengeance when we give him our anger. What does God do in this? He absorbs our wrath and he absorbs our anger. He is the one who took the curse. He is the one who made us pure. He is the one who can take our anger and turn it into forgiveness. And that only happens through the miracle of Christ and his death and resurrection. Paul says in Galatians 3, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the, to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the Spirit through faith. In calling down curses, in going to the Lord in anger, the Lord frees us from our desire for vengeance because we trust in a God who cares more about justice than we do. And in that, the Lord transforms us. Maybe not all at once. Maybe not tomorrow. But through the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, who redeemed us from the curse. Let's pray. Father, there are things in this world that make us angry. There are things in this world that are wrong. And there are places in our lives where we bear scars. And our natural response is to be angry at those things. God, our desire is to love the things that you love and to hate the things that you hate. And in our anger, we pray that we would come before you with honest hearts and that you would free us from the curse of the fall, from the results of the fall and that you would transform us from people of anger and vengeance and self-destruction and turn us into people who are redeemed, transformed, and pleasing to you.
And it's in the name of Christ Jesus who redeemed us from the curse that we pray.